when we think about our faith, love is at the very core of who we are called to be as followers of Jesus Christ, as believers. It's, it's part of our very being that we should not only be acknowledging is there, but should be embracing in a way that uh, it, it becomes a foundational piece of our character, our hearts, our focus, our perspective, and all that. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse one says, let love be your highest goal, right? That's a pretty cool uh, mission statement there a little bit. Let love be your highest goal. And then Matthew 22, starting verse 37, Jesus says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Greatest, right? That's a pretty big deal. Jesus saying this is the greatest commandment. And then he says a second is equally important. So this is the greatest one too then, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. I just love how Jesus brings these two components together, right? Love the Lord and love other people. And they're equal in his mind and equal in his sight. And we are to value loving God and loving people equally. Sometimes we can love God really well and then struggle to love people, right? Or vice versa. I've been around a lot of people who love other people great, but they might be struggling in their faith with the Lord and their closeness of their relationship with God. These are two things that Jesus wants us to learn and grow in together to be our greatest achievement overall. You know, we, we can get these things out of balance, but they're not designed to be separate. So here's my first question this morning. You don't have to answer. This is just a hypothetical for us to, to ask ourselves as we walk through the message here this morning. But talking about love, talking about um, our ability to even fulfill these commandments that Jesus is giving us, the question is this. Is the quality of love inside the church any different from the quality of love outside of the church? Supposed to be a little bit of a heart check question, right? Uh, I know I'm asking myself that question as a pastor. Man, Lord, how are we doing? Is the love that we're giving as a church equal to the love that the world is able to give outside of the church, even outside of Christianity? God, how are we doing as Christians? How are we doing as believers? How are we doing even on, on the leadership level, Lord? What does this look like? You know, I think the a different perspective, a way to look at it is, you know, someone who's maybe not saved, doesn't know Jesus or has heard of him and hasn't really wanted anything to do with it yet, do they still have the ability to make these kind of statements? Wow, those Christians are different. Something's different there. They're so forgiving. They're so humble and they're so patient and kind, not just even just with each other, but with me, with, with, with people. It doesn't matter who they are. Those Christians are so truthful and they're able, so able to endure so much of what they're facing without giving up their faith and without giving up their hope. You know, do we see the world reacting towards Christianity that way? Towards us, towards you and me. And again, I don't, I don't need you to answer for yourself. I'm just throwing some hypotheticals out there that give us a little bit of a good checkpoint in our hearts to say, God, how am I doing? And Lord, how can we as a church continue to grow so much in your love that these statements actually are said? And maybe they are. Maybe you're doing a great job at that. And maybe our church has that reputation in, in pockets of the communities and that, and that's the goal. We wanna, we wanna make a difference that points people to Jesus because when they see something different, it opens a door for us to be able to introduce them to God. Just like in that video, wow, I, I have a lot of questions and if something feels different here. So I love that, that part when he says that girls, hey, you're a Christian and you're not crazy. You're not, I mean, some of us are, it's all right. But man, there's something I just need to ask you because there's something different about you. And what is it? And we can draw them back to the Lord because that's what's different. That's what's so great about being a believer. It's not about who we are and what we can achieve. 
It's about the God that we love and serve. Last week, we began defining love from the source of all love, who is God himself, right? God is love, not love is God. And so we get that definition from the Lord. We get it from his word. And so I want to review what his word says about his love before we continue any further here this morning. I'm going to jump to the last verse in 1 Corinthians 12 because it ends by saying, now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And that rolls right into then the very beginning of chapter 13 where it gives us some, some good reminders of the fullness of love we need to have along the way with our Christianity and also the definition of what it looks like if I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others. Man, all the languages of angels. What is, what is that like, God? That sounds amazing. Be a no, I would be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal without love. I was preaching in Jefferson last week, and at this point, I actually got in the drum cage and just started banging on cymbals. And I said, how would you like it if I just did that for a half an hour? Would you get anything out of that? Because that's basically as good as it would be if I preached for half an hour, but I didn't do it in the love of God. You'd be getting a bunch of cymbal clanging the whole time with nothing else. No offense to Quinn, our drummer, this morning. Cymbals are awesome, but you need to have, cymbals are good when they're with the rest of the music, right? By themselves, it's really hard to know what you're getting out of it. So it continues, if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, anybody want all that? I mean, I do, I do. It's such amazing stuff. But if I didn't love others, I would be nothing. Without love, all that incredible stuff is worthless in God's sight if, if it's not done in love. It's so cool how God gives us this amazing contrast here. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Thank you, Lord, for your wisdom, for how we can portray this. And then he continues on to say, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful, and love endures through every circumstance. Sometimes I think we have to add that word love back into this as we read it because we can read through it so quickly as an informational thing, but we have to keep connecting all of these adjectives back to true godly love at its core. So now that we've reminded ourselves a little bit of the meaning of love and what it looks like, we can jump into our extremely easy topic this morning. Actually, it's quite the opposite. I'm gonna, we're gonna talk about something a little difficult today because it goes against our instincts. It goes against our human nature but it's the defining attribute of godly love that we're all called to practice as followers of Jesus Christ, which is why today's message is all about what it means to love your enemies. What? No. Don't go there, right? I'll just, let's just say love everyone because that is so more inclusive and I don't have to focus so much on the enemy part, right? It's hard, to, it's hard to get into that perspective of it. You know, it was really cool just, you know, hearing Matt again up here on doing worship talking about our battles and I love the battle songs and the, the war cries of worship sometimes. And, and I, I even felt that in here this morning, the energy of, yes, God, we're going to have victory. I think of how many movies I like to watch where the, the, the good guys rally the crowds and let's fight and let's stand for justice and everyone's ready for a fight. But how many times does that fight and that rallying lead to love instead of war? 
<laughs> compassion instead of a fight. And I, I'm not trying to define something other than it's just our human nature is to fight and is to, to, to kind of rise up in something. But what does it look like when that fight is based on God's love? How do, how do, we, how do we fuse those things in such a way where we can fight well for the Lord? We can fight well for his people whom he loves. How do we do that? How do we do that as believers? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 43. It says, you have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So Jesus is highlighting an actual law that the people were living by. They were supposed to hate their enemies. But I say, so here he comes giving a new way, a new method, something that is his, his intent for his people. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who you love or who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much, right? It's a good word for tax season, right? (laughs) If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Jesus is really trying to, again, bring up the same thing that the Apostle Paul was doing in the book of 1 Corinthians there of, hey, love has got to be your highest goal. And it's the greatest commandment of all. I need you to get this in such a way that you apply it throughout, not just where it's convenient for you. I think about this. You know, Jesus didn't hang on the cross thinking to himself, man, I really hate all these people. But I got to look spiritual because I'm doing my father's will here. So I guess I'll lie a little bit and tell them that I forgive them and get my duty over with. No, he was so full of the love of his father that he genuinely meant it. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand all the things that you, that you have shared with me and why this has to happen. And someday, a bunch of them will get it. Someday, those who don't know you, God will know you. They'll understand the value. They'll feel your love. They'll feel your closeness. They'll get to stand in your presence. And someday in heaven, hopefully, God, they'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, because they've fallen in love with you and have lived for you more than themselves and more than religious duty, even in all of that. But if you're anything like me, you want people to like you. I'll say that that's been one of my biggest weaknesses through the course of my life. And I can honestly say I've grown a lot in the weak parts of that to try and get stronger in not being fearful of what people think of me. Um, But there's this subconscious desire and goal in my life that I've had from time to time where I just want to be liked. I want people to like me. And I would imagine that's a pretty common human nature thing. And some of you are like, I don't need that. And that's great. Good, good for you that, you know, we, you might have an opposite battle. Sometimes, sometimes we as human beings, whether it's something that's naturally developed in us or there's been a coping mechanism in us from one way or another, we've learned to either, either overly care about what people think of us or reject any ounce of thought of what people might think of us. We need to get somewhere into a healthy balance with that. But I don't want any enemies, Anybody actually want enemies? I think that's, a, that's a, something that's not necessarily a natural desire. I just wish people would hate me and, and try and destroy me and try to, try to rip away everything in my life that I ever have. I love that there's a devil out there just coming after the will of God in my life. Nobody wants any form of opposition 
towards them. It's not a desirable thing. I just wish that was possible. <laughs> Unfortunately, there, there isn't a spiritual enemy, the devil, and, and his armies and things that we don't have time to get too deep into today, but there's also enemies in people that cross our paths in life. Now, you may be thinking, what do you mean people are enemies? And there's a lot of Christians who might even try to debunk that with, well, our, our, our fight is not against flesh and blood, and that's true. There's a spiritual battle, and the enemy is the greatest of all and can lie, manipulate, and even oppress or possess people that are God's creation in different formats. But, but people have a choice in the matter, right? People have a choice when, they, when they've heard the gospel. Now, some people haven't, and that's our goal. We have to keep preaching the gospel. We have to keep making Jesus known. But when someone ha- hears the gospel, they have a choice on whether or not they're gonna receive it, hear it, and believe, or reject it and walk away from God. And when we, even when we receive the gospel and we have fallen in love with the Lord and we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we still have a choice on how we operate and the, the footholds that we may open in our lives intentionally or unintentionally where the enemy can weasel his way in and influence us in that way, but um, there's, there's still an opportunity for us to have enemies that are people or even be an enemy towards other people. The Bible is actually full of references of Christians having enemies that were people. King David wrote a lot about this. You want to get in the Psalms and you want to read about him. He was constantly saying, you know, Lord, what, I, my enemies surround me. What am I supposed to do? And thankfully the Lord prepares a table in the presence of enemies for us as believers, for him. But even Jesus talked about this. He had enemies. Jesus tells his followers in Mark chapter 13, when I say his followers, we can associate with that. We're his followers too. He says this, everyone will hate you because you are my followers. Oh, man, nobody told me that when I signed up for this Christian thing. And then Luke chapter six, this is a really key verse for today as well. Starting in verse 27, it says, to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Talk about getting countercultural, Jesus. Man, it's so good, yet so difficult. You see why this feels like it could go against every one of our human nature instincts. And man, this does not feel like what I would want to do. And this would not feel good to do when I'm not really feeling any love from that person. So the question that we need to answer this morning, or at least begin to ask more if we haven't asked it already, is in, in order to know how we can learn to love our enemies, Lord, I need to know who those people are. How do, I, how do I acknowledge what an enemy might look like in my life, God? Because I don't want to just go around pointing my fingers and judging people. I just need to know how to, how to come before you, God, and, and give this to you. But I don't really know how to differentiate that because I could overly point at a bunch of people as my enemies who might not be. Or I might overly try and have compassion and people that may, I might need to have healthier boundaries with in my relationships. And I need to figure out, Lord, what this looks like. And so we're going to take that passage, Luke chapter 6, and break it down a little bit. So based on that, we first know that our enemies are those who hate us. (laughs) Those who hate us. Told you this is going to be a fun one today. (laughs) I want you to listen to the biblical definition of the word hate. It says to detest, especially to persecute, or by extension, to love less. Have you ever had someone tell you they hate you? Any parents of teenagers in the room? (laughs) Hate you, mom. Hate you, dad. You know, or have you ever felt hate towards someone else? 
It's hate's such an interesting word and concept because I think we talked about this last week a little bit too. Just like love, it's this word and term that can get thrown out there without a really deep understanding of what it literally means. You know, man, I hate these socks. They're so, they're so bright and obnoxious. I just, I just hate how much they rub my leg hairs. Oh, sorry, TMI. I, I hate how cold it is outside. I can't wait for that sunshine to come back and melt everything off of my garage. It's dripping icicles all over my vehicles, and I hate that. Man, I hate the Chicago Bears, and I really hate the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady this year. They kept my pot. You know, like, we can use this word hate and throw it out there in such a frivolous way, but it can also be extremely powerful in inflicting pain in people's lives and in our world and in, and in the heart. Think of this, if, if anyone said this to you or if you've heard these concepts before, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get really real with this one because I think we need to be able to get real with the pain of hate to understand the, the, how deep the love of God goes the other way. I hate the color of your skin. I hate the country that you came from. I hate the political party that you associate with and the candidate you voted for and your political views. I hate my family member who hurt me or my friend who betrayed me. I hate your faith. I hate your religion. I hate your beliefs. See how deep and painful the word hate can go when it's used in certain contexts. The word hate can dig deep and create some severe wounds. Now, can be a variety of things, but anyone who is speaking hatred and acting in hatred towards you in any kind of way becomes an enemy. That doesn't mean that that person is evil themselves. They may have an evil influence, I don't know, but that person has stepped into an, an, an oppositional position in your life, right? There's people that you're gonna bring close into your inner circles that you trust, and when someone becomes an enemy, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love them and that they're the worst person in the world. Even though it feels like that, it just means that they've become now in a position of, of being an enemy in your life in a human form, whatever that looks like. So enemies are those who hate us, but they're also those who curse us. And I'm not talking curse words, swear words, like actual four-letter words or others. I'm talking about speaking negatively against you, speaking something negatively over you, trying to pigeonhole you into something that, that's not who you really are in a negative way by the things that they speak. could sound like this. You'll never be good enough. Nobody likes you. Nobody loves you. I hope that you suffer for what you've done. You're never going to succeed. You will always be alone. You're going to fail because you are a failure. Those are types of curses. I'm not just talking about like, hey, I'm praying a curse over you spiritually. It can just be things spoken that have, that have put a, a bent over you that maybe you don't know that they've said those things. Maybe some of you, some of you maybe even who have walked a lot of life, lived a lot of life, can think of statements like that that have actually affected you for many years. That's a curse. Because those statements, those hurtful things, those negative evil words, when used incorrectly, the Bible says that words can be given, used for life or death. Some of us have had things spoken over us that have affected our lives negatively for a very long time. If someone is wishing do more evil upon you, and if they're using words to tear you down, then they're most likely not a friend. They're an enemy. 
Listen to this in James chapter three, starting in verse seven. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. right? James is pleading with, the, with, with people to, to understand. Do you see the, the discrepancy over how we use our words here? Um, I think most people don't even realize when they're cursing others. Again, some of us may have just grown up speaking things out that we've heard spoken over us or spoken to others, and we've just adapted our language to be like those we spent our life with. And we didn't realize that that was, I mean, we might have realized that's a little mean, but we might not have realized the negative impact and the spiritual um, pressure that that might put on somebody and how much it may influence who they become and how quickly they're able to release those pains and step into the fullness of God of what he's designed for their life. But we might be doing it and all along not realize how deep that's gone. Maybe we haven't even realized the judging motives that have been there or how poorly we've been speaking of someone in specific or people in general. But it's even infiltrated the church and it happens with followers of Jesus Christ. Just because you say yes to Jesus and you step in the doors of a, of a brick and mortar building that a church is running a service in doesn't suddenly make you immune to all sorts of sins and failures and, and shortcomings. No, we bring those in here with us. And that's okay. We just need God to help us, help us see what they are so he can have them and he can help us grow out of them so we can go back out in the world without them and go help people and get, get to know their father in heaven and deal with those very same things in their own lives. I wanna go back a few verses earlier in the same chapter, James 3, verses two, three, and four. So this, dear brothers and sisters. Again, I love that. Just addressing family here, right? We're talking, we're talking to family not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong." I'm reading these extra verses here because this is a concept that in my life has been very convicting. Something that from the day I got saved, I was feeling conviction over. Um, I got saved in 2004 to summer camp. And I, before that, um, I was typical frat boy, party guy, not knowing Jesus, just trying to, trying to mimic the ways of the world to find out who I was. But when I got saved, one of the things that really hit me was my language. And so for me, back in 2004, it was specifically my, you know, my swearing problem that I had. If you were to play the Madden football game against me on PlayStation or Xbox and I was losing, you'd probably hear all kinds of colorful language used of the things that I've learned from the world. So those are things that immediately when I got saved and I heard these passages in James, I felt, and I don't even know if I understood the fullness of the, the counselor, the advocate, Holy Spirit who speaks to us. I don't, I don't know if I even realized how much he was impressing upon me, but I felt the conviction of, wow, I need to get this under control. Because I was reading these verses thinking, man, if I can get that under control, and that's just some small little thing, I can get the whole ship in the right direction. 
Now I can get, I can, I can get the whole, my whole being to step into good things if I can get this one really awful little thing in order. And so I, I began really changing the way that I talked. But even now, I'd say this conviction has carried through. It's, I, I, I don't have a problem with the types of words that I use as far as that goes, but I, I want to stay vigilant to have an awareness over what I'm saying how I'm saying it, and how it's portrayed to people, how it might affect them, right? I want to have an awareness about what I'm teaching and even preaching about. When I get up here and I hold this microphone and I speak to all of you, it carries a lot of weight. And, I, and it doesn't matter if someone likes to have that position or not. I'm, I'm not here because I like to be up front of people. I just, I'm called to, to share the, 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 the word of the Lord in this role, but I need to be careful because I'm you're all looking at me right now wanting to know what I have to say because you're trusting that I'm gonna hear from God. I need to be very careful with what I say and how I say it. The message that I just have in any conversation, and this isn't just because I'm a pastor, this is just because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. If I'm going to engage in a conversation with a believer at church or out of church or with, even with a non-believer, what I'm saying carries weight because it poured, what, what, what comes out of the heart um, the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so based on what I say helps other people get to know who I am. And especially if I'm out in this world and non-believers are getting to know me, I want them to see something different. I, and I, again, I'm not gonna get it perfect all the time. No one's expecting perfection. But are we willing to acknowledge that this is an area we wanna stay aware in, grow in awareness, and, and, and get better at in our lives? Even just our inner thoughts and feelings that could lead to words are we asking God to help us pay enough attention to ourselves and what we're thinking? You know, like, I, I, it's okay if I think about hating that person as long as I don't say any curses over them. I think we need to ask God to change even the innermost parts of who we are before it can formulate into any words as well. We have to allow God to transform us in our thoughts and our words. So our enemies are those who hate us. They're those who curse us. And there are those who hurt us. Again, all three of these things are coming out of that, that passage in Luke chapter six that we read earlier. Enemies are those who hurt us. How many of you have ever been hurt by another person before? Raise both my hands. We've, we've all probably been hurt. How many of you have hurt someone else before? Wow, I was expecting less hands. You guys are really honest and humble. Great job, man. That's an, it's not always an easy one to, to acknowledge that, that we are the, the culprits of pain and hurt in someone's life. But it's really good to acknowledge that because we can all do that too. It's, it's, it's a lot easier to feel the hurt against us and a little harder to have awareness of the hurt that we inflict outwardly. But you know, I've been hurt by a lot of people in my life. I, just, I could think back to my childhood. I think it was in elementary school, between third and fifth grade, I'd ride the yellow school bus to my, my school. And I was bullied before it was even called bullying. I remember a day when someone kid took my backpack and they were playing monkey in the middle and I didn't like it. And I, I, I was like just trying to figure out, am I gonna get my backpack back? And maybe I won't, maybe I will. I guess I'll just have to see how this plays out. And I didn't even think about, you know, this concept, oh, if I'm being bullied, I just thought, well, that's just how kids are and that's just life and I just better get used to it, right? We kind of allow things to inflict us and happen, but there's been, there's been hurts and I think we could all, look through our lives and think of the ways that other people have hurt us, whether it's from our childhood or it's from our adulthood. Um, it's what happens there. But, you know, I can be, I can open up and share as well that I've hurt people in my life. I've hurt others. I, I think of dating relationships I was in before I got married. I've hurt 
people and broken their hearts. In marriage, I've accidentally, not intentionally, honey, my, she's watching online, but I accidentally have hurt my wife and had to apologize and acknowledge that where I've missed it and gone wrong in those moments. I've hurt friends and family members. I've even done things that have been hurtful to people at church over the years, and I have to be okay to acknowledge that. You see, the actual hurt happening is, is a key component to recognize and understand. But what's even more important out of that, especially for us being the ones that maybe have done the hurting in some way or another, is that we allow God to convict us about that hurt that we may have caused or have actually caused. And then we become quick to repent, ask those people for forgiveness, right? But at the same time, we can't assume that we're always aware of how we've hurt people. We have to position ourselves in humility to give permission for others to tell us that we've messed up and that we've hurt them or hurt someone else and not get defensive and not get upset about it and not try and ignore it and blow it off because we're prideful about it, but say, even even though that might hurt to hear that I've hurt somebody, to say, okay, thank you for letting me know. I'm sorry I've hurt you or thank you for letting me know I've hurt them. I'm I'm so sorry. I apologize. And by the way, I'm gonna take that before the Lord. And I'm going to ask him to show me where I've missed it and to teach me something out of that so I can grow because I want to get better. I don't want to hurt people, right? It takes, a, it takes that's something inside of our hearts to be willing to be transformed by the Lord to do that. And so we can be the hurt, hurters, but a lot of times we're also the hurtees. That's more definitions for you. I will dig into hurters and hurtees next week. <laughs> but this concept of hurt can really create a, a, a line of whether someone's, you know, an enemy or not. But that, again, the hurt itself doesn't make them an enemy. It's, it's whether they, we've stood in place of being able to get past that hurt or not. And it's, and it's creating those pains, right? I think we can all agree, right, that we have enemies. In some form or another, we, we either have, have had, or will have an enemy that is not just a spiritual component, but there's a natural thing in the flesh with people where that we can experience enemies. And so, how am I supposed to respond to that, God? What am I supposed to do about this awareness now of who might my, my enemies be? What, what, how do I do this? What do I, what do I um, grasp according to your word and your truth and your character? Why do I get this right so that I can not just be like, sweet, uh, I hate them. But how, how can I actually do what you've called me to do towards them? This is where we have to remember that Jesus said we are to love our enemies, right? So think of the fruit of the Spirit. Think of the things that we, you, we can read all throughout the Bible. I, I would encourage you guys to go. You can Google it or look up in your own Bibles just how do I love my enemies and, and find all the verses you can. But the, the, the word says things like be patient and kind and forgiving, Right? Be humble, be compassionate. Because even our enemies are God's children whom he loves dearly. That's a truth that whether we like it or not, it's true. God loves our enemies because to him, they're his creation. He made them. He's, He's probably not, just as he is with us at times or has been in our own lives, he's probably not pleased with some of their their actions that have taken place, but he loves them and he's longing for a closeness with them just as he is with you and me and, and wants them to be able to, out of relationship with him, grow and mature and transform and be able to take all of their shortcomings the same way we're trying to as well, right? They're people that God loves. Listen to what Jesus did for us and for our enemies. 
Romans chapter five, starting in verse eight. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I just love the perspective of God. Since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. This is the heart of God towards us. When we were still sinners and his enemies, he showed love and he made a way for us to draw into relationship. Uh, Maybe some of you here this morning needed to hear this passage for yourself to know that you are loved. To remember how gracious and merciful our God is. That you haven't missed it. That, yeah, you might have weaknesses and shortcomings like I do like everyone else in here does, but God loves you. And before he wants to work at showing you all the ways that you can enjoy a life free of those shortcomings, he wants you to feel his love and draw near to him and experience his goodness. And some of you this morning might just need to be reminded that in the same way you are loved and you've embraced it for yourself, so he also loves the other people in your life, regardless of who other people are in your life. I would say it's every other person in your life. There's not just not all these few over here. God must love them too, but maybe not those ones. You know, God loves every single person in your life, even the difficult people, even your enemies. So again, hypothetical question, not hypothetical, real question, but don't answer this publicly right now. Just chew on this a little bit for yourself. Where are you at with this today? What's God speaking to you? And how are you treating others? How are you responded based on how they've treated you? What what rises up in your heart and in your mind internally? What comes out of your mouth externally in your actions, right? Where are you at? I'm going to end with getting real practical this morning. I'm going to take those same three components of who our enemies are and now look at what Jesus says we are to do towards these different types of people. So first, do good to those who hate you. If our enemies are those who hate us, how do we respond to those enemies in love? Well, let's do good to those who hate us. Again, straight out of Luke 6. See, we can allow the hurts of people in our life to become a poison to our souls. But the antidote that we can take against that is to counteract it with goodness, to do the very thing that goes against our sin nature and gets us on the right track of leading towards life, right? So maybe try doing an act of service for somebody. That, that has expressed hate towards you and just operate in love, right? Shovel their driveway, <laughs> give them a gift card. Um, try operating just in some, some form of kindness, something towards those people. Don't, don't give in to, to respond in the same way. I want you to think about how Jesus treated Ju- Judas, right? Not only did Jesus know that Judas would betray him, he knew it was going on while it was happening And he still allowed Judas to come up and give him a kiss and to serve him and to break bread with him and washed his feet. (laughs) That's the heart of Jesus, right? That's the way he acts. I think of, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about this battle we're fighting and let God do it for us. I think of Peter who rose up to defend Jesus and cut the soldier's ear off. And Jesus says, whoa, hold on, like put that away. And he heals the guy who's about to bind him up and haul him off to go be hung on a cross, Jesus offered healing to those who came to arrest him and take him away. That's who our God is. 
God, help me be more like you towards those who hate me. Next, bless those who curse you. Isn't it tempting to battle fire with fire sometimes? To battle a curse with a curse? Well, if you're going to say that about me, and I'm going to say this about you. And I'm going to give you back the same measure that you've given me, right? But it's actually only healing and life-giving to battle a curse with a blessing. To counteract the curse with something godly, something life-giving. I love what Galatians 6 one says, says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So if we can acknowledge that if someone's cursing us, it's not godly, then we should be able to acknowledge that our resp- if, if we were to respond with a curse, we've now fallen into the very same thing that they fell into when they first did that towards us, right? We can't fall into those same traps. And in all reality, um, not only should we be trying to bless them, but we can help them. I mean, they might not hear it. Hey, your, your negative words over me, um, it hurt. And, I, and I, it's probably really hard to say, right? I think that, you know, if you were to operate in a godly way, you can point things out to me, but um, that feels like it was a bit, of, bit more cursing. You might need to hope that someone else can even speak into that person's life because if they're cursing you, they might not be giving permission for you to speak life back into them. But you can test the relationship in different ways or, or um, ask the Lord how to navigate that. But we can help other believers even. Man, I heard what you said to, to so-and-so over there. And man, you might be right based on your emotions of like the feelings that you're having. But I want you to be careful with the ways that you turn those emotions and the things in your heart into words. Because man, that could really hurt, not only hurt them, it could, if, if, if they don't give that to the Lord in some kind of way, it could hang over them and create a curse on their life that you might not have even intended to put there, right? We can be helpful that way, but again, we have to navigate what that looks like and, and the open doors God gives us for those conversations. But in all reality, we can't fight back against a curse with a curse ourselves. We have to figure out a way to live in, in, in the area of blessing. Man, I, I speak good over that person. I want, I want the best for their life. I don't want to retaliate with words the way that, that I'm tempted to as a human being. And finally, pray for those who hurt you, right? This helps guard our, heart, our hearts against unforgiveness and bitterness. I was just thinking about this as just prepping this morning with these notes and sitting in our worship practice, just thinking, man, if I'm praying for someone who has hurt me, prayer is my connection with the Lord and now I'm turning to my God and acknowledging that hurt. It's basically saying, God, I'm going to take this and I'm going to put it in your hands so that I can let go of my judgment over what I think should be happening to that person based on the hurt that I felt. Because God, I trust you. Now that it requires you to, to build and, and grow in your relationship with God to the point where you can trust him with that because you want to be able to trust God and God is trustworthy. But if you're, going, if you're going to entrust him with those that have hurt you, and you can take that, you can put it in his hands, and you can let go, and you can find healing so that you don't just keep carrying it around over and over again. But I want you to be aware too, in the natural realm, uh, giving that over to the Lord and letting go of the judgment doesn't mean 
that that person is automatically changed and they will never hurt you again. You still have to create healthy boundaries in your life with relationships, whether that's family and friend relationships, workplace relationships, church relationships, neighborhoods, schools, everything. We have to be smart about how we're interacting with people because God's given us wisdom over how to be careful with um, our hearts, our minds, all of that. You know, you don't need to forget the hurt. Not forgetting the hurt doesn't mean that you're still judging them for it. That's God's role. But you don't have to forget the hurt and you don't have to trust that person again. And you certainly don't need to keep a person in your life and in a close relationship if there's been pain and there's been hurt and there's been curses and there's been hate. But you can pray for them and you can bless them. And you can hope for the best for them and you can love them, right? You could do good things for them and you can operate towards them the same way that God would. But again, as human beings, we still have to do relationships with healthy boundaries. And that's a, that's a tempting thing sometimes as believers to think that, oh, if I'm supposed to forgive, then it means that I just have to keep subjecting myself to the things that that person has done to me. And that's easier to do when someone's hurt you once, right? Well, I'm going to forgive them. They said they're sorry. Sweet. But if that thing keeps happening over and over and over again, we need to realize where we can draw some healthy boundaries. Love them. Pray for them and do that. But figure out, God, where does this person belong in my life? How do I navigate this relationship? Because the, the more that I keep letting them hurt me and poison me, it's keeping me back from being able to operate fully in love. And, and I know, God, I can, I can respond to them. And you're giving me a lot of opportunities with this person, God, to do a loving, godly thing. But Lord, I need some freedom from that too so that I can continue to build healthy relationships in my life. I wanna read this final passage before we close in Matthew chapter five, verse 10, 11 and 12 here. Listen to this, it says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers, right? If you're representing Jesus in this world and you're um, getting flack for it, God's saying, look, you're, do, you're on the right track. You're doing the right thing. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. <laughs> Pastor and Kevin and I were talking about the, the notes for this message earlier in the week and we were just trying to be honest with each other. And can I be honest with you today? Good, I'm going to anyway. So I just want to make sure you're, you're aware of that. But we were just talking about it. I'm like, man, I first said to him, I was like, you know, I don't really want to do this because there's a reward for me. I want to do it because it's what God asked me. But he said back, he's like, yeah, and I'm not really happy about it when it happens. <laughs> like, it's, it's really hard to be happy about this stuff. And I, I can say that too. I, I haven't been very happy about persecutions I've faced in my life as a believer. It's really difficult. But what continues to change and develop in me over time and with each enemy and with each battle and with each sort of persecution that I face as a believer in Jesus Christ is that I, I need to keep bringing it before the Lord and allow him to make me a better person, to help me learn from where I've missed it, help me learn from what I can do when someone else has missed it. God, how do I operate in your love and get better along the way? And so the things that I've had to learn along the way and to believe in, even in myself, is that I know that I'm not defined by what others think of me. Mention that weakness in my life, fearing what people think. Um, it might still come across my mind, but I've learned more and more to, to ground my identity on Jesus and on who he is. And 
being able to live my life according to his word. So that if someone comes against me for that, I won't like that and it's gonna hurt, but I'm okay because I know that if I long, as long as I live in the way that God has trained me, then, then I'll be okay. Only God can define who I am. And I don't expect everyone to like me. Or I don't expect to believe that I won't ever have enemies. And I've learned to accept the fact that living for truth and integrity and then representing the kingdom of God in this world will create enemies in my life. And I have to say that I'm okay with that. Again, I don't like it. And it's really hard to live up to the end of that verse where I'm gonna be happy about it. But I've learned to acknowledge that God, I'm, I'm willing to have that happen as long as I'm living for you and you're helping me get better and better at doing things your way and responding to these moments in your character and in your heart. See, we can be truthful with ourselves and what we struggle with and what we're growing in and how, how we can bring that before the Lord. And we, we can admit that we have enemies and that we're facing battles and, and struggles and tribulations in this world. We can then acknowledge that not only are we are loved by God, but so are those people that we're struggling with, that we're having conflict with, that's hard to get along with, who we don't know if we'll ever get along with them again. Well, God, you love them just as much as you love me. So God, I put this in your hands. Just help me get better and grow in this. Lord, if that relationship is supposed to end, I gotta trust you with that. Lord, if you're gonna help me make that relationship better and bring restoration, then God, I trust you with that too. I just want, I just want to know you. I want to grow close to you. And I want, to ha want you to help lead me in the ways to do this your way and in your love. We've got to open up our hearts to be able to love God's people the way that he does. And so when this real love defined by God takes root in your life, and when you can learn to love your enemies just like Jesus did, the cool part is you're going to start to set an atmosphere in your life all around you as well. This will become attractive to the world around you. Then you begin living out what we talked about where people will say, wow, I know that person and they're a Christian and they're different. Not because of their religion, but there's something about their, who they are that's different and I feel it and I can't make sense of it. I got to ask them about it because I'm experiencing all this junk and garbage of the world and I need something different right now. When you set that different atmosphere, you open a door of invitation for the world to want to get to know our God. And that's what we have to learn too, to have a heart of an inviter, someone who can invite people to the kingdom, invite people to the very presence of the throne room of God, to meet with him. We can do that. But it starts with our love even to the point of loving our enemies. You may even be able to win back Christians who have lost their first love because they stepped into a relationship with God and they've been hurt and they've been burned and they've either walked away from God or they've walked away from church because those Christians are so hypocritical and I thought this is what I was getting right. How do we operate so much in love that we create a heavenly atmosphere around us? And if we do that as individuals, that starts to have a multiplier effect when we come together as a church. And now we not only become a beacon of light in our community, Milton here in the surrounding areas and in our other campuses, we, we set a, a kingdom fire that will spread like crazy and, and, and the Holy Spirit will just draw near to so many people in so many ways we can't even fathom what that looks like. 
But it's not by raising up our swords and going out to fight. It's by getting on our knees and knowing our Savior and allowing him to take over who we are and change us from the inside out, starting with our love, his love. I'm gonna pray for you here this morning. Father, thank you for your love for each and every one of us. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room who feels unworthy of your love, that they would let go of being the controller of whether or not your love is allowed in and just allow you to love them. Because even if they think they don't deserve it, you do. And you want to bless them and, and pour it all out over them. So God, thank you for your love for us in this place, for every person watching online today or who will watch this later. Thank you for your love. We love you too, God. Just as Jesus asked Peter over and over again, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, I love you. You know I love you. May our response always be, God, yes, I love you. And Lord, may we be able to embrace the call in our lives to love others the same way Jesus then gave back to Peter. All right? And feed my sheep. Take care of my people. Lord, we love you. Help us love your people as equally as we love you. Help us to grow in both our relationship with you and our ability to love others out of the same love that you've poured into us. And help us to love ourselves by seeing ourselves the way you've designed us, not in an egotistical self-love, but God, to look in the mirror sometime and just acknowledge that we are yours. Have your way in our lives, God. Help us to grow in loving thoughts that translate into loving words. Help us to create an atmosphere of your love in our lives so that people can see you through us. Help us to live with integrity. Help us to walk in humility and do things your way, Father. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.